So I'd like to begin this talk with a real-life dramatic event that happened a few years ago. In June of 2018, in Thailand, 13 children and really young teens ventured after playing a normal day of soccer into a nearby cave. They just happened to be there for the fun of it, but little did they realize that after a few, few minutes, the monsoon rain started and the entire cave became flooded and even the entrance was flooded and they were trapped inside. They were so deep inside that they could not escape. And so inside that cave, there were these 13 boys with no food. Although they were surrounded with water, they had no clean water to drink, no light, no communication. And of course, with all of those conditions against them, there was almost zero chance of survival and zero chance of rescue. But we all know that this ordeal lasted 10 days and eventually these boys were saved and the rescue was very famous. Divers and rescuers and, and billionaires offered all they could to help and they were saved. But the most important lesson from this incident is that these boys survived not just physically, but they also survived psychologically. Because they were there and inside that cave they were trapped. But luckily for them, one of the persons that was inside the cave, the only adult with them, was their coach, who happened to be a Buddhist monk. So inside that cave, there was fear, there was anxiety, there was stress, there was panic and hopelessness. But they were able to cope with the hopelessness because they worked on their own minds. So why do we have this series on Hinduism at all? We'll never be trapped inside a cave, but many times life can be filled with sorrows and stresses and anxieties and fears, and we create our own caves in which we become trapped. Why did meditation work for those boys? Because it worked on the most important part of us that we often neglect, it worked on the mind. Why are we even listening to these words right now? because you are trying to invest in your own future by helping you to find something from Hinduism that will help you make a more robust life. Think about it. Investment is very important, so how do we invest our own time? Where do we spend our time? How much time do we spend in the day after our own clothes? In the morning, we choose which clothes to wear. We have to wash them, we buy them, we fold them, we store them. How much time in the day do we spend after food? And how much time during the day do we spend after our own hair in combing it and styling it and coloring it and doing all the things that we do with it? And yet the one thing that can make us happy and more importantly, the one thing that can make others happy, how much time do we invest in the most important tool at our disposal, our own mind? And yet, what do we know about our own mind? What happens inside our own minds? You could argue that there's a whole vast outer space that we know a lot about. There is the stars and the quasars and the comets and the asteroids and the planets and everything that we know about outer space. Which do you think is larger, outer space or the inner space that we have inside our own minds?
you could argue that the outer space is billions and billions of miles long and wide, so it's larger. But if you really think about it, inner space is also extremely, extremely vast in a different way. And I could argue that although outer space may be vaster, I could argue that inner space is probably much, much more complex than outer space. Because inside our own minds, there is a whole world that is unexplored. Inside our minds is a whole world of thoughts, which we have never thought about. Science tells us that we have approximately 50,000 thoughts a day. 80% of them are negative and 98% of them are repetitive. And so what if those negative thoughts could become positive? And what if those repetitive thoughts could become more creative? Imagine what we could do if we could learn to harness that whole world we have inside, the world of thoughts. Inside our minds is this whole world of memories. Some of these memories are worth recalling repeatedly. They're very happy memories and memories with friends and relatives and families with, and, and, and memories with, with our guru. And some memories are not worth recalling. Painful events from the past. And yet sometimes we cannot help but forget those memories of the past and sometimes those memories end up haunting us. It's difficult to control our own memories. And yet we have a whole world inside of us a world of memories. A few years ago, a devotee brought a friend of his with, to, to me and asked, uh, the friend asked a question to me that, Swamiji, I have a daughter. She happens to be a very intelligent doctor nowadays, making a very good living. But she refuses to talk to me now. So I asked him that this something happened. Why is, is she not talking to you? He said that many years ago when she was a young girl, she wanted to buy a doll. And in those days, it happened to be a doll called the Cabbage Patch Dolls, which were very, very popular and they're very, very, very expensive in those days. She wanted to buy it, but the demand was so high, the prices were so high, they ended up being even $1,000 and I couldn't afford them. And so I told her that you can't have the doll. And because she was upset with that, even today, she cannot forget that one memory of me not buying her a doll and today she refuses to talk to me because she can't even forget that moment. Imagine this whole world of memories. What if we could control them and put them to better use and yet we can't even control our own memories? Inside our own minds, there's a whole world of decisions. We're constantly making thousands and thousands of decisions which are micro decisions daily. Most of these decisions are subconscious. We don't even remember and think about what we're making decisions of. Every morning we make a decision whether to wake up or not. Should we hit the snooze button? What should we have for breakfast? What should we dress? What should we have for, for lunch or dinner? Even while listening to this, to this talk right now, all kinds of micro decisions are happening inside our, our minds. And yet we can't even think about them and harness them. And many of the decisions we make in our life go on without actually making a conscious decision consciously. When we watch TV at home, when we eat, when we exercise or gossip, when we browse the internet and we watch a movie, so many times decisions are made to do things and we don't even make them consciously. But imagine what if you could harness the decisions and make them consciously to be more wise. Inside our own minds is a whole world of emotions. Emotions are all around us. 
and this whole entire world inside our minds of emotions is probably the most powerful thing that we need to learn to harness because ultimately that is what makes us happy or sad emotions of worry and fear and grief and stress and anxiety are all around us and unfortunately many times these emotions if they're not harnessed properly they can end us affecting us physically in our own lives in 1994 in los angeles an earthquake happened at 4:30 in the morning on a normal day los angeles has about 15 deaths during the day on that particular day 51 people died so they examined that why did so many people die was it the earthquake and they examined that there were no major structural damages to any buildings so why did more people die they died because of a very simple thing called fear an earthquake caused fear fear caused anxiety and stress which ultimately caused heart attacks and 51 people died most of them because of heart attacks they were literally scared to death and so we know through all of the things we experience in life that emotions ultimately rule our lives it's not logic and so what if we could learn to harness those emotions and harness our own minds and so our mind is a very powerful thing to have i would say that the most important reason for us to learn to harness the mind is first of all because success depends on the mind if you think about it today the most important commodity that we have the most scarce resource that we'll have to worry about in the future is not oil or energy the scarcest resource in today's age is what is called attention and focus the ability to focus on the task at hand and make our minds focused on the task that's available in front of us it is said that the mind wanders 47% of the time and so if you think about it we're basically missing half of life a parent once told me that my child only eats when there's a screen in front of her and that child happens to be only 2 years old imagine what will happen to her attention span when she goes to school how can she control her own mind success depends on the mind that is why the gita timeless hindu wisdom we talk about it and yet the gita says in very simple verses how important it is to control the mind and how difficult it is to control the mind it says yatato yapi kaunteya purushasya vipashitah indriyani pramarthini haranti prasabham mana krishna bhagwan tells arjun that even though you try to control the mind the indriyas the senses are so strong that they completely sweep the mind away success depends on the mind In America many scientists have done what is known as the marshmallow test they take a group of small children and they put them in a small room in seclusion and they put on a table a small plate in which there is one marshmallow the interviewer the examiner then tells the the boys or the girls that here is a small marshmallow one marshmallow if you eat it now you can enjoy it but if you wait 10 more minutes i'll come back with 10 marshmallows the choice is yours then the interviewer leaves the room and then they watch through concealed cameras what happened to these children and all these tests and results they watch all kinds of different reactions from these children some children think in their own minds that you know let's have this one marshmallow now who knows about the future and they eat the marshmallow 
Some children think for a while and they, they think in their mind that yes, this is, they, they did say not to eat the marshmallow, but they didn't say to not lick the marshmallow. So they start licking the marshmallow and put it back. But some children, they think in their own minds and they say, that, yeah, I can eat that one now, but if I wait 10 minutes, then I'll have 10. So maybe it's better to wait. And so ultimately they end up waiting and they get the 10 marshmallows. The important observation from this experiment is not the experiment itself, but they follow these children through their lives and they eventually find that the children, they end up waiting and delaying gratification. They end up becoming much more happy they become much more successful in school, much more successful in university, in their married life, and even in their careers. The mind determines our success. And that's why it's important to, first of all, learn to focus our mind to become more successful. But the second reason is even more important because our happiness depends on the mind. It's not just about success. If we want to be happy, then we have to learn to calm the mind. In San Francisco, there are some areas that are very notorious for having violence in school. And many times in some of these schools, there are fights three times a week. And some of these people even see guns on a daily basis. Some of them are called fight schools. And yet today, these schools, they've enacted a new program in which they fall silent twice a day for 15 minutes. There was no time in the schedule to make this happen, but they actually extended a school day to fit in 15 minutes of just silence, and the entire school falls silence for 15 minutes twice a day. The athletic director then said that this is not something for the hippies in the 70s when you meditate. This is something in modern day San Francisco. And what they found is that suspensions decreased 79%, attendance increased, academic performance was much better. Why did silence work? Because it made the mind calmer. They became less angry. Our own happiness depends on our own minds. Because think about it, what is stress? What is worry? It's an inappropriate use of our own mind. The mind sometimes creates its, our own caves and traps itself, and that is why we need to calm the mind to make it happier. In the Gita, we're talking about timeless Hindu wisdom. The Gita has much timeless wisdom in it, but one small verse and phrase is so powerful that it's basically a formula for happiness which the entire world can learn from. The Gita says very simply, Ashantasya kutasukham, that an agitated mind will never be happy. And it's true that sometimes we create our own miseries because our mind is agitated. Once when we were going to the national headquarters from our temple in Robbinsville, we happened to, the driver happened to be an elderly man and we wanted to make a left turn. In the United States, when you want to make a left turn, you have to wait for the opposing traffic to stop. There should be no cars in the opposite lane on the left side. So our driver wanted to make the left turn because he was elderly. He sort of hesitated whether he should take the turn or not. There, were enough, there was enough time to make the turn, but he hesitated. But because he was slow, the car behind us was in a hurry. And so the, he started making a noise with his horn, basically telling us to hurry up. And so because the horn was happening and it was loud, eventually our driver, because he happened to be elderly, his mind froze and he was stuck in the middle of the road. 
not knowing what to do next. He got stuck. So the man behind us, he got more agitated and he overtook our car and, you know, he, he horn, made a horn sound again and he yelled in his, from his window, probably said a few things from the window, made a few gestures and very, very angry and he left on his way to work. The situation was over, we left, made the left turn and went, went our way. But imagine what happened as an aftermath of this incident. That man in the other car probably went to work in a bad state of mind and probably made five other people unhappy in the beginning of the day. Not only was his day spoiled, he made five other people's days spoiled. That would have been okay. But actually, our own driver in our own car, his day was spoiled and he became miserable because he said that why should I have a problem? It was his fault, not my fault. And so he became agitated, he became angry, his day was spoiled. And he probably ended up making other people in the day spoiled as well. But the worst part of the incident is because our driver became upset. We became upset at the driver, telling him that why are you agitated? You shouldn't be agitated. And we became angry to calm the other people or the other driver down. And in the whole course of this whole day, probably 10 or 15 people's days became miserable. But if you think about this whole incident from the outside, what was it for? It was just for about three to five seconds of time. Five seconds of delay was enough to create misery in 10 people's lives. Our own minds make our own misery. We need to control it. But most importantly, more important than understanding that happiness, our own happiness depends on our own minds, is that happiness of those around us depends on our own minds. Because it's a fact that an agitated mind can never be generous. A calm mind is always most kind. And so the great avatars of Hinduism have constantly shown us, the wisdom of Hinduism has shown us that if our mind becomes stable and calm, then we're naturally gonna become more generous to other people. UNESCO is a very important organization that has been established to find peace in the world. And in, in his constitution, in the preamble, they have written something that is very, very appropriate for peace. They write that wars began in the minds of men. And so it is in the minds of men that defenses of peace must be constructed. If we want to make the world more peaceful, we have to learn to tame our own minds. And yet think about it. How many institutions, courses and gadgets and ads and movies and documentaries and have we ever created to teach us how to harness our own minds? It's totally unknown. We know so many things about the earth. We know what is under the earth. We know what is at the bottom of the oceans. We know what is inside of a star that is billions of light years away. We also know what is inside of an atom and the subatomic particles that are inside of an atom and yet we don't even know what's inside our own minds. We cannot even control our own minds and we can't even tame it and we cannot even control our own thoughts and know what thoughts we're gonna to have today. And so maybe what we need nowadays is what we can call fitness for the mind. Just as we have gyms to teach us how to be more stronger and physically stronger and it's important, maybe we need fitness for the mind to make our minds better. 
And I'm not talking about just teaching us intellectual gymnastics and mathematical puzzles to make the mind more active. I'm talking about teaching our mind, teaching it self-control, to be able to control the thoughts that we have, to make it more positive, to make them make our thoughts more empathetic, to teach our minds to be more kind, more compassionate, to teach it to be calm, to be more peaceful. And so what we need to learn is to learn how to harness our minds. And so we have to move towards these kind of trends. Today, because people have realized the mind is important, we have also started these trends of meditation and mindfulness. And throughout the world, we see people being more mindful and meditating. It is now taught in major corporations of the world, the Apples and the Googles and the Twitters. And so many schools and armies and even jails in the world are teaching people how to be more mindful and meditate. So they close their eyes and become more mindful in the moment. But what I'm here to claim is that that's not enough. Because when we close our eyes and meditate for a while and we empty our mind, it's fine for the moment. But let's realize that our life is made with eyes open more than it is made with eyes closed. We need to learn to harness our minds in day-to-day -day life. And so it's important not just to empty the mind with mindfulness. It's important to actually fill the mind with good thoughts. Because that is, as it's said in English, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. In World War II in England, we all know history, Germany had captured France and England was next. 76 days of continuous bombing by Germany and all of in England and London was on fire. And yet people kept hope. They knew that they had to keep their minds positive and the spirits high. And so even though they were in underground shelters, these people sang and they danced underground to keep themselves happy and more spirited. The government also knew that they had to keep the spirits high. And so they ordered all the people of England to send all the tin pots and pans they had available to them to do what? To make bombs from tin. And so people gave millions and millions of pots and pans to the army to help them make bombs. But in reality, the army knew that you could not make bombs from such things. It was done just to create a collective spirit of enthusiasm to make people's minds more happy and more, more positive. It was made to fill the mind with positivity and that is why they created this. So more important than emptying the mind is actually to fill it with positive thoughts. Think about it. Now that we're living in this age of pandemic, how will we spend our time and how will we fill our minds? Let's take a very important lesson from something that happened in 1665. In 1665, there was a plague in London in UK. It was a very dangerous and very bad plague. In those days, it wasn't known that viruses and bacteria caused these kind of illnesses, but they had the 17th century version of social distancing. And so all the students from London, they were all sent home to the countryside to go back to their homes. And so a student in his 20s in Cambridge, he left his home and went to his family estate 60 miles away and he spent one year in his family estate. It was what he called a year of wonders. His name was Isaac. And to be more accurate, his name was Isaac Newton. So what did he do in the one year he spent there? Instead of reading about the 
the, the, the plague from the papers and talking about the news. He spent his time solving mathematical problems and the papers he wrote ultimately became what we call today as calculus. Instead of worrying about the plague, he made small holes in his shutters of his windows and he watched light come through the shutters and the holes and he played with small prisms and he created what we today know as a theory of optics and he gave us what is known as the electromagnetic spectrum. Instead of sleeping all day, he sat under a tree and pondered that why are these apples falling down on the ground and not floating in the air? And he created what we today know as a theory of gravity. The mind is a very powerful tool. We can either fill it with good things or we can fill it with negative things. Let's learn to fill it with positive things, things such as satsang. Let's fill it with prayers and positive thoughts and let's fill our minds with virtues and goodness and spirituality. I would say that Hinduism's greatest lesson that it has to teach to the whole world is that there's a whole world inside of us that needs to be explored, it needs to be charted, and most importantly, it needs to be cultivated. It is this whole world of inner space. Let's learn to make it positive. Let's learn to harness it. And that is the essence of Hinduism's lessons that we have talked about today. Shri Swami Narayan Bhagavan Ni Jai